Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth with Mike Howerton, and we're going to run down the news of the week for you. But uh, we also have a very special guest for you today that we will be speaking with later, and that's Jeanette Lee. Mike, I guess topic number one has to be the Derby City Classic. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we talked on this show after the World Championships about how exhausted we were, and, and Derby City is is another one of those crazy, crazy tournaments. But going into it, the fans and the players and the media, I mean, they all know what it's going to be like. Uh, I thought it was a successful tournament. It, it, I'm glad that we have the Derby City, and I'm glad it only happens once a year. <laughs> That's true on both counts. It is very, very exhausting to try and cover that event because uh, while the players can go to sleep when they're not playing, um, reporters pretty much have to be up while the action is on, and the action is on at Derby City from 10 a.m. till 4 a.m. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we survived it. Yeah, I, I know uh, I have friends who were at the tournament, and they said that they actually had to, as they were playing in the event, they had to almost tag team with one person sleeping while the other was watching the boards so that they could make a call up to the room and say, hey, you're playing in the first round of this re redraw. you got a half an hour. Um, right. I can't even imagine what it's like to, to try to play and play well in those tournaments. Well, there's so many. I mean, this year we not only had the banks and the one pocket and the nine ball, we also had straight pool and we had one, uh, a, a separate one pocket challenge event. We had um, three cushion. We had trick shots. I mean, it's just crazy. You can you can find anything you want in the world of billiards at Derby City. <laughs> anything you might want, and maybe a few things that you didn't want. Yeah, um, our, I guess we should tell people who won the various events. The very first event uh, that is contested at Derby City is Bank Pool, and that was taken down once again by Larry Price, a Bank Pool expert who, boy, he, he can really nail those balls. But we, we see a lot of Bank Pool players up there who make two and three rail banks as if they were straight in uh, stop shots. Oh, yeah, and certainly you can't talk about the Banks without talking about Silver Ochoa. He uh, he played great, and I, I, do I did I remember correctly he said this was the first time he had played in the Banks event? Yeah. He's not known as a Banks player. No, and it certainly didn't look like this was just somebody catching a gear for two or three days. He played some outstanding bank pool, but... In the end, I think Larry Price's experience came through for him. Uh, you know, he's been there before. Absolutely. And also in the Banks division, they had the first ring game, which, no surprise to anyone, uh, Brian Gregg won. Um, now, I didn't watch the ring game, but mm -hmm. I understand he broke and ran a seven out of the gate. Right out of the gate. I did watch it, and he broke and started banking balls, and... I don't mean straight across, cross-side banks and cross-corner banks. I mean really tough off-angle banks where he had to straighten them up or lengthen them out. And they, every shot, he was he was slamming it, and the ball was going right in the heart of the pocket. He, he never touched the pocket facing. It went right to the back of the pocket and down. And about the time the fifth bank went in, 
um, I was sitting behind the arena where all the competitors were sitting, and, and, and you could hear one by one their hearts hitting the floor because they knew that this guy was on and that they were all playing for second place. Yeah, and, and in a winner-take-all ring game, second place doesn't uh, doesn't accomplish much for you. No. Well, after the banks, we moved on to one pocket, and yeah. that came down to Larry Neville and Gabe Owen. Um, kind of a surprise. Well, certainly a surprise that uh, we didn't see Efren Reyes in the finals. We didn't see Scott Frost in the finals. We didn't see Cliff Joyner in the finals. Do you think this was just a fluke, or is this no. a sign that we're, we're seeing a changing of the guard in the one-pocket world? Well, I think a little bit of changing of the guard, because I think the two best players wound up in the finals. I think Gabe Owen um, um, was was playing, and, and he won. I mean, let's face it, he, he, he won it, and, and he deserved to win it, because he was playing just top, notch one pocket not just offense but defense as well uh he really kept his opponents hogtied and uh they, they just he never gave them that the kind of opportunity that you have to have to win at one pocket while they eventually would make an error and gabe would really capitalize on it he would just eat them up with any error that they made well, again, I've I've never known Gabe to be a big one-pocket player, but I know that he spent a lot of time when he was developing his game with Jeremy Jones, and Jeremy Jones is certainly a, well, a very good one-pocket player, so it doesn't come as that big of a surprise that he came through and won the event. I was, again, surprised that... Um, you know, we didn't see Efren or or Freezer in the finals, but uh, but you're right. Gabe played well, and he deserved that win. And let's face it, Efren has owned Derby City the last three years. It's time he gave someone else a break. Well, I mean, that's an interesting story. Uh, Efren has not. Efren has not been the Efren of old. If we don't include his performance in the IPT events a year or so ago. Um, right. I, I, you know, we heard that he had had his eyes worked on and he felt better about his game than he ever had, but we haven't right. seen it. Um, you know, he, he just, it seems like maybe it's that time. I, I mean, I certainly hope not, but Efren certainly does not seem to be playing like the Efren that we all know. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to jump up and put my cue together and, and, and challenge him to a game anytime soon, but he just seems to have lost a, a bit of his game. Well, you're, you're right. He does seem to be off this year compared, or actually 2007 and so far in 2008, versus what he was doing in 2006 and before. However, I, I have to remind myself that pool is not a game in, on the male side that you rise to the top in and just stay there. Men don't dominate in pool. They rise to the top, then they fall back, then they rise to the top again and fall back. And the ones that are great are the ones that spend as much time at the top and as little time below the top as possible. And that's what Efren has done in the past. Uh, when he comes to the top, he stays there for a while, and he doesn't stay away for long. So he could be back. At the same time, he's aging, like all of us. And the edge of the ball gets 
harder to find the older you get. And the stroke, you know, the, the brain and the, the wrist don't speak to one another as well when you're 52 as when you're 22. So if he's aged out, I don't have a problem with that. He's still the greatest player I've ever seen hold a cue. And uh, I thank him for, for all the memories. If he comes back, man, I'll cheer him as loudly as ever. Well, I I will say that if and when the uh, the new NACPBA puts together some events and, and they're actually playing events for the big money, we both know that Efren would be invited to play in any of those events. And oh, sure. I think you could lose a fortune betting against Efren when that kind of money's on the line. Yeah, and especially the first event. I can't <laughs> think of a first event in any series that Efren Reyes has not won. Yeah, well, we moved on from the one pocket to the nine ball, and yeah. we saw Francisco Bustamante and Ralph Suquet in the finals. Ralph Suquet, a uh, little bit of foreshadowing here, who had won the event in 2006 and 2004, and right. he came through again. Um, I don't want to play him in the finals in 2010, that's for darn sure. But then again, if anyone watched my games, they know they won't see me in the finals of anything. Um, but Ralph played great. He, it was interesting that the the end of the nine ball lasted until the wee hours of the morning, which yeah. at, at Derby, that was like four in the afternoon. That didn't seem to bother anyone. Um, Ralph was undefeated. If we actually take a step back, there were three players left. Everybody had buybacks, so that's where everything got to be a little confusing, and, and it ran long. But Ralph came into the finals without a loss. Francisco Bustamante had lost one already. I watched both sets of the finals, and in the first set of the finals, Bustamante uh, dominated. He he didn't give Ralph much of a chance, and Ralph completely turned the tide in the second set. It was a, a night and day transformation, and and Ralph came through. We didn't, we didn't see the uh, the explosive reaction from Ralph that we have in the past when he's won a big event like this. But yeah. at three three thirty in the morning, I don't suppose most people have explosive reactions in them. You know, I I love Ralph Suquet's game. I, I really enjoy watching him play. Uh, but he's the best excuse I have to put a shot clock on every player on every match because. So many of his matches go to two hours plus, sometimes three hours plus. And I understand that he's a deliberate player who likes to take his time, but I've never seen it take anything off of his game when you put him on a 30-second shot clock. He plays just as well. No. Um, we've won we watched him play at Moscone Cup, and he played yeah. absolute top-level pool on a shot clock. And then at Derby City, I had the pleasure – using that term loosely, of watching a four-and-a-half-hour one-pocket match that he was involved in. Um, yeah. I have to agree with you. Ralph is, is the consummate professional. I've never, ever requested something as media from him and been turned down, no matter how busy he was. Yeah. And if the game had a handful of players who were as professional as Ralph, the game would be not huge steps ahead of where it is today. But right. that slow, methodical play 
<laughs> again, if the game had a handful of players that played like that, we could just put it in its coffin and it would be done. Yeah, I agree. You, he's, he's got to pick up the pace. Ralph, come on, pick up the pace. Love you. <laughs> okay. When it comes to the all-around championship, we had an interesting champion this year because Francisco Bustamante won the all-around. And, you know, everybody's been wondering when's Francisco going to charge back to the Francisco of, of uh, 10 years ago. Well, maybe this is the beginning. Well, I think we have to step back to the World Championships. He had a, a great event there. I think if we're going to say yeah. it's a beginning, then I think it began in Manila. Um, yeah. It was interesting that Bustamante didn't win any of the disciplines, but he played well enough to win the all-around. And also, for the fans who weren't there, it was kind of amusing that when the nine ball event finished and they were bringing out the big cardboard checks for everyone, uh, Bustamante won more for the all around title than Ralph won for the nine ball. So Ralph comes out with his check and he's holding it. And when Bustamante started to come out with his check, he kind of made a comment and he said, see, Ralph, I won more money than you did. And, and I didn't win the event. And he was just, it was all joking. And, and Suke came right back and he said, well, you did that because I can't bank a ball. I mean, it was, it was interesting to see the players, especially Ralph, because you don't see him on a tournament floor cracking jokes very often. But uh, right. Bustamante, definitely a, a, a winner that, was it was he played very well and he deserved that all around win. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we had a lot of popular players do well. Pe people who are popular with the fans did well. People everybody loves Gabe Owen. Everybody everybody loves Francisco. Everybody loves Ralph and um you know, these these guys really came through. Yeah. Um now, the three major events and the all-around were not the only things being contested. There was uh, also a straight pool challenge event that Bob Jewett put on. Um, right. Again, you are more familiar with the European or the English players than I am. I certainly was not surprised to see Darren Appleton at the event, but I have to be honest, I was surprised to see him win the straight pool. I was absolutely shocked. I mean, Darren has never played straight pool before. In fact, he had to get up before one of the matches that we were doing uh, AccuStats commentary on, and he had to ask the referee what the rules were for the break shot, how many balls had to go to the rail and all that sort of thing. And then uh, later in the event, uh, twice, he had to call the referee in and say, what do I have to do here to make a legal shot? And yet his shot-making ability just really shone through. I mean, here's the guy. He, he qualified for the final eight by having the lowest run of any of those eight. He came in. He was, he was the number eight seed to get in. And yet once he got in into head-to-head -head competition, every time he came to the table, he was laying 40 balls in the pocket, 50 balls in the pocket, and when he missed, he wasn't leaving anything. Um, so really, it was it was it was definitely a magic moment for Darren Appleton to win a straight pool event, and it was a shock to me 
Uh, although, again, he's a very popular player. Um, you don't hear many bad words about Darren Appleton. So um, glad to see he could pull through and win. Well, I hope it's a sign of the times, and I hope that uh, you know he he excels in the upcoming year. It's certainly going to be an interesting year with some of the events that are coming on. Um, yeah. I spoke with both he and Carl Boys, and they were both interested in coming over here to play in more events, which is a nice sign. Um, also in the straight pool, to no one's surprise at all, there was a women's division, and... That was won by Allison Fisher, who it just seems like if it's women's pool, I think you could take five women pool players and play tiddlywinks over in the corner and she would dominate it. Yeah. And I do want, before we get off of straight pool, I do want to extend our heartfelt thanks to Bob Jewett. He, he not only runs these events, uh, he goes into his own pocket um, and adds $10,000 to the prize money. And... Um, that's going well above and beyond. Absolutely. Let's see. Um, there was also the three cushion events that took place across the street. Um, yeah. Now, I can't speak with much authority on this, but I do know that Miguel Torres won the the uh, USBA three cushion national championship. Uh, I can't really right. go into much more depth than that. Uh, what, what, what I did find interesting was they had the first women's three-cushion national championship, and that was won by a player from Colombia by the name of Mercedes Gonzalez. Now, we both had a chance to watch some of her play, and it was amazing. She makes it look very effortless. Um, and another player uh, told us that she uses no systems, that she's an instinctive player. Uh, that she just comes to the table and the path is obvious to her. Fun to watch. Uh, now living in Miami, Florida, that's how she qualified to play in the uh, United States Nationals. And uh, definitely, uh, she, she to me, she looks like uh, the Allison Fisher of uh, women's caroms. Well, the match that we got to watch, she was playing Melissa Little, and Melissa Little is no slouch when it comes to three-cushion. I believe right. she defeated our upcoming guest, Jeanette Lee, in their match during this event. Um, but in watching Mercedes, the thought that immediately came to my mind was that it was like watching Evgeny Stalev play nine ball. Um, she just looked like she was practicing. And Melissa Little, again, who plays the game well, she looked kind of lost. I mean, what do you do when every time you let your opponent to the table, she runs a two like she's just hitting balls in her basement, you know, on the practice table? It was, it was amazing right. how smooth she played and how easy she made it look. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Jerry, there was uh, there was one other event that took place at Derby that uh, I know you probably don't want to talk about. You're not going to bring this up. You are not going to bring this up. You are the devil incarnate if you bring this up. Well, of course I'm going to bring this up. <laughs> there was the first annual AZ Billiards Challenge match that uh, took place between uh, Jerry Forsyth and... Um, <clears throat> Mike Howerton, can you tell us what, what happened there, Jerry? I can tell you that next time it'll be call shot. I can tell you that. 
Uh, yeah, Mike, um, through an extraordinarily fortunate sequence of events, uh, won this one three to two. Uh, and I must admit, he made a wonderful long rail bank shot using the rake uh, to, to actually sink the winning nine ball. Um, <laughs> however, the nine ball he sank prior to that <laughs> well, um... was a joke. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to a rematch. A, a W is a W, and if anyone asks me, I played Efren Speed during that match. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would like to, to step away from Derby City real quick. Uh, there, there is yeah. an interesting story developing that, that I would like okay. to discuss. Um, okay. The end of the year over in, um, let's see, the end of the year, in Taiwan, they had the 2007 Super Cup. That was won yeah. by 18-year-old Pinyi Ko. Yeah. That, didn't he just win the juniors? Yes, he did. Um, what I found interesting about the event was the runner-up was uh, Roberto Gomez. Now, also, <laughs> after the beginning of the, beginning of the year, they had yeah. the ranking of the BSCP ranking tour in Manila and Ricky Zerna won that event and second place was Roberto Gomez. Right. Are we starting to see a pattern here, Jerry? Yeah, we are. And it happened, you know, he came in second, of course, to Daryl Peach at the World Pool Championship. He was heavily, heavily favored going into the final match. Uh he had played flawlessly uh, all week he had dominated the stars of the game all week long. He got into the finals and he crumbled like an overdone cookie and could not make a ball because his position play was off. It was, it was frankly almost embarrassing uh, to watch how badly he crumbled. And that wasn't the first second place in a big event. He had, he had also done a similar thing on the um, San Miguel Tour, I believe the Tour Finals, uh, before the World Championship, because one of the players remarked to me that uh, Robert was used to second place. So has he become the perennial bridesmaid of uh, big league pool? I hope not. He's a super guy. He has a wonderful personality. And, uh, you know, if he were able to get out of that second place and knock off a couple of big ones, he would quickly um, become a fan favorite around the world. Well, <clears throat> he's a young player, and it had to be bad enough taking second place at the San Miguel final, but taking second place in Manila at the World Championships, there has to be some some residual mental oh my God, here we go again. The first yeah. time something bad happens in the finals. Um, I mean, if we were, if we think back five or six years ago, Mika Eminen went through the same sort of thing. He just seemed like he was finishing in second place in every event he played. And interestingly enough, I spoke to one of the pros in Derby about this very subject, and he said you know what, I'd take second place at 10 events in a year and, and I'd be perfectly fine, but I just wonder what it's going to take for Gomez to get over that hump. And Lord knows when he does, 
he's going to be a, a huge force to be reckoned with. Indeed, and if if he gets over it the same way that Mika did, which was by redoubling his efforts uh, and 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 just playing harder, um, it could be a very good thing for his game and a frightening thing for his competitors to see. Well, I mean, considering the period of time that, that went by where Mika was taking second place, he has certainly put it out of his mind and, you know, has has played great ever since then. It, it's almost like yeah. it's probably just a bad memory for him. Uh, I can't imagine there's any... I can't imagine he gets into a final match and thinks about that sort of thing anymore, but it's... Gomez has got to be struggling with this right now, and and I certainly hope that 2008 sees him get this behind him and win a couple events, uh, and then we won't. It'll just be a distant memory. Yeah, our best wishes to uh, Mr. Gomez. Hey, we you know we have some news for our international audience that we should talk about while we're thinking about it. Pretty soon here, people are going to be able to to go to AZ Billiards and read about the news in their own language, be it German or French or Chinese or whatever. Yeah, uh, we're working on the coding, and, um, you know, that code actually may be up on the site before this episode gets up. It all depends on which, <laughs> which one I feel like doing first. Okay. Well, I think it's a, a huge step forward um, because we've had we've long had an international audience at AZB, and now it's going to be nice to make it easier for them to, to keep up to date on all the goings-on around the world. Absolutely. Well, uh, we also have a very interesting guest that we're going to talk to today. Uh, do we want to bring that guest online? We might as well. Indeed, today, the best-known name in all of pool. Jeanette Lee is with us, and she's going to be joining us right now. Jeanette, are you there? Yes, here I am. All right. Uh, Mike, why don't you lead off with uh, Jeanette Lee? Well, Jeanette, we saw you in uh, in Louisville at Derby City Classic, and, of course, mm -hmm. you had Cheyenne with you. How's Cheyenne doing? She's doing great. We're just starting to read. <laughs> We've been practicing and practicing. I noticed she had her own pool cue now. Oh, yes. Uh, Jacoby, Dave Jacoby was kind enough to custom make her um, a cue that was uh, modeled after the cue that I played with last year. Oh, okay. Um, now, Jacoby also had, had made you a special cue. That was a, a gorgeous cue. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, basically, with my signing a nice contract with Liquid Wick, it prevented me from playing with the exact same cue as last year. And uh, Jacoby had talked about helping me design uh, a new cue that I would be um, working on it, selling with Liquid Wick and things like that. And um, in the process, as a surprise, he had bumped into a friend who, I'm not sure if he's an entomologist or what, but he was able to preserve a black widow spider and actually place a it in the cue stick. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. It, it and actually quite beautiful and a bit scary at the same time. <laughs> so the, the cue stick itself, of course, was beautiful. And uh, right now I'm having him custom make it to my specs as he knows them all. But um, it, it was really a neat surprise, and I'm looking forward to having it for forever. It was, it was very well done. Thank you. 
Jeanette, you know, we've known each other for longer than we wish to talk about, but when I first got to know you, you were the hardest working pro I had ever met. Are you still working the phones eight hours a day, or are you able to relax a little bit these days? Well, I would have to say um, it's a little bit different. I've definitely intentionally cut back a little bit for the sake of spending time with my daughter. So, of course, all day today, well, I, I got up, I went to the gym, I've come back, I'm sitting in front of the computer right now as we speak, um, doing different kinds of, you know, answering uh, fan mail and things like that for my website, and yet taking breaks to go over and read a story to Cheyenne. She's not feeling well today. Um, so I'm reading her stories and trying to mix them up. I, I still would think that I'm um, a bit of a workaholic. I, I do work quite hard and I and I really feel that it's important right now the WPBA and uh, where pool is at we're at an exciting time but we're also on the bubble I mean we we're, we're looking at doing different things on ESPN making uh, billiard programming more exciting I think the the talent pool on the WPBA runs so much deeper than it ever has. It's so much more challenging for me to do well and finish well in a tournament. I've uh, hired my old coach back, Bob Carmen, and we're spending time together and I'm working on my game a bit. And so I'm just trying to be a mother, a world champion, and a marketing uh, machine at the same time. And it's a bit difficult to balance that. You mentioned uh, answering uh, fan mail from the new website. I just noticed that the new website went live, what, about a month ago? Yeah, something like that. That's very nice. Uh, I'm I'm familiar with the old website, but the new one is uh, is very well done. Who put that together for you? Well, I have a friend, Jessica Kim, who was the project manager for it, and her and I collaborated um, on getting it to have the kind of content that we wanted. And Owen Mundy designed the site, and he's just he was right on the pulse. He knew exactly what what kind of style and look I wanted for the site. And it was just sexy, strong, clean, classy. Um, there's one side, which is the professional side, the money-making side. You know, people come in, they see what I do, my look, um, uh, exhibitions, information about me, press. And then separately, I really wanted a way to continue to connect with the fans. And so we built a fan club that I intentionally do not charge to be a member of the fan club, and these people would get you know, up up to date on what's going on with me professionally and personally and personal photos as well as different trips of where I've gone and what I'm doing and, you know, favorite things. Just somebody that wants to look a little bit deeper than what they just see on ESPN. Right. And for any of the fans who have not been to the website, it is at www.jeanettelee.com. Perfect. Jeanette, there's a side to your life, and I'm thinking of, corporate events and the like that the average tournament fan knows nothing about. But that takes up more of your time than tournament play, am I correct? Oh, easily, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I learned a long time ago that prize money wasn't going to be enough of an income for me. Uh, the expenses are very high. and It's very much like most sports. Uh, maybe not the, the largest three or four mainstream sports, but most sports, until you really get to the top, you're not going to make a great living. And unfortunately, on our tour, um, until we really break through corporate America and get a lot more corporate sponsors, it's a bit difficult. 
And uh, fortunately, I was able to use my marketability to go out there and offer something to corporate America that's a bit unique. I mean, there's nothing like having a big party or event where you have a, a woman shooting pool well, beating you know, the pants off all these people. So it's it's kind of a fun thing, and yet I'm able to do it and still make people laugh and smile and walk away with a really positive feeling about our sport, and so it's a win-win. Well, I have a, I have a follow-up question on that one. Sure. When you go out to do a corporate event, um, and and just for an aside, you, you, you might go to uh, somewhere in Colorado to talk to the Coors people or uh, go to a sales meeting of some other company somewhere right. and give a rah-rah for them. And you have to have a pool table to do your stick. That's right. Have they ever? Has anybody ever set up a pool table for you that was so bad and leaned off so terribly that you just couldn't pull off the show? Actually, it has happened. Uh, one time, it, it was done outside at night. Um, oh, good. Uh, I was in maybe the Bahamas or somewhere and not only was the table incredibly off-level to the point where you literally put the balls on the table and they immediately rolled completely to the other end of the table <laughs> by itself, meaning I, I literally could not put a ball down in the middle of the table without immediately rolling down. I mean, that's as off-level as you can get. Um, fortunately, my husband travels with me when I, when I fly internationally, and he was able to get that leveled out. But they didn't think about light for the pool table. So they had some, you know, kind of campfire and candlelight and things like that. But it really was very, very difficult for me to see the edges of the balls at all. And here, you know, they're wanting you to show off a bit. I couldn't see anything. So finally they brought a very, very tall spotlight, which was directly in my eyes when I could see it or if my back was to it. I blocked my own light, and, of course, if you're playing on the other end of the table, it was just black. You couldn't see anything. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and you're trying to smile and make the best of it because at this point you can't do much, uh, and, and that's what we did. I just I did really, really basic trick shots and um, just told a lot of stories and made people laugh and did a lot of schmoozing and explained the situation, and we worked it out. Jeanette, you mentioned uh, some sponsors that you had, and, and I think most of the fans are familiar with Escalade being your Q sponsor, but that all changed here at the beginning of the year. Uh, tell us right. about Liquidwick. Well, I had a five-year contract with Escalade, and it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful relationship, and I think we're, we're going to hopefully keep it that way for years to come, but we're just going in different directions, and um, it was kind of a a mutual agreement that it was in our best interest. And so, but I, there's nothing at all negative that I could say truly, truly about Escalade Sports. Now, separately speaking, I got the opportunity to um, develop a relationship with Liquid Wick. And what interested me was, you know, honestly, there's so many Q companies, right? And there's so many Qs out there. Sure. And if you have the mar- right marketing plan, a decent product, you can sell anything. You just got to know how to sell it. I mean, that's kind of the way that I, I think about things sometimes. And with this company, they they wanted to go to direct TV. They want to go direct to the customer, um, similar to uh, the skincare proactive. 
Okay. Where you right. go, you know, uh, TV commercials, you know, or infomercials, whatever you want to call it, things like that, and opportunities to get out in different kinds of retail stores outside of billiards. And that was interesting to me and challenging to me. And aside from that, the fact that they really, really did want a quality product and they're wanting my involvement in finding a quality product that's affordable because you've got so many cues out there that are $400, $1,000, things like that. And then you've got all these, you know, $29.99 Kmart cues. And can we find something that's affordable, uh, which for us was ninety nine ninety nine something like that, about a $100 cue stick, but a, a really good cue stick. And so that's kind of where we're at is we're going to try to focus on that world, um, developing a Widowmaker line of cues. And uh, I think the cue that they have right now is the Axis Glide. And I have it with me. I have it at my house. And I think it plays great. For $100, it's tough to beat. And so it's just a company that I can be proud about, and I, and I just think that it has a lot of potential, and I want to be part of that. Well, I've, uh, I've caught one of the infomercials that they had on TV when I was at my local pool room. I assume you'll be part of those very soon? Yes, probably once we develop our line. That's when it makes sense, because they've already got infomercials out. Right. That they've done with Andy Siegel. I saw that. Yeah. And for fans who want further information about the Liquid Wick cues, where can they find that? At www.liquidwick.com. And, of course, if you can't remember that, you can always go to JeanetteLee.com and find the link there. Uh, Jeanette, over the years, you've never been shy about doing what you need to do, whether the WPBA agrees or not. I'm thinking a few years back about the uh, Maxim Magazine uh, spread, and I believe at least one time that the WPBA ask you to alter your clothing style for their events, in effect saying that you are too sexy for your shirt. Right. I, always found these events, I always found these events amusing. Did you? I, I can't say that I found it amusing. I found it very stressful. You know, I was new to the tour. I, definitely what people thought of me does matter, no matter how much I pretend that it doesn't. And you always want to be liked. And uh, I felt like I caught a lot of flack unfairly. I mean... In one way, um, I don't think the intention so much was to be sexy, but it is wanting to be attractive. And knowing that uh, I'm from New York, you'll find that it's very common for women to wear black. I have never liked wearing baggy clothes when I'm playing pool because right. I, I felt sloppy. I felt like, you know, fouling all over, you know, the balls and touching the balls, just unprofessional. And so it became just a normal thing to wear slim-fitting clothing where you're not hanging all over the place and bouncing and bagging around. Uh, and, I, and I do feel that I was treated unfairly. But, you know, things have changed, and we have uh, new people on board, a lot of newer players, um, a new board, a lot of the, the, the kinds of uh, women that treated me that way are no longer playing regularly on our tour thankfully, and you've just got to know that the WPBA as a whole is a great organization, and the women there in general are people who have a great spirit, are attractive, intelligent, love pool, and are good for our sport. And so, you know, now being a little bit more mature, I'm able to kind of look at the bigger picture instead of looking at just a few people who are 
um, a bit mean and, you know, generalizing the whole women's tour to be that way, which was just, uh, you know, a bit sensitive on my part, I think. Well, I know there's a lot of changes taking place in the WPBA right now with um, the Nationals last year being round robin and the new board and then, of course, uh, Peg Ledman stepping down from her role. Uh, what's your viewpoint on all that that's going on right now? You know, it was definitely it definitely caught me off guard to find out that Peg was not on our tour anymore. Um, but the impression that I got from Peg was that... Uh, you know, no hard feelings. The relationship just wasn't working anymore. And um, I think that it was some time coming. I think that it was just, you know, so many years of maybe Peg feeling like um, either unheard or simply that we were moving in different directions. And uh, what I have to do is trust our board. I think that we have a good board and see where they take it. Um, it might be time for a change. Peg is not the first thing that I thought needed to change. But, um, you know, Peg's done a good job for us for many, many years. And I wish her the best of success. I consider her to be a good friend, somebody that I respect and care about. And um, at the same time, I'm, I'm almost desperate to see uh, the WPBA go through some change um, Whichever way it is, I just think that uh, the WPBA could use the boost. So let's hope that this is the change that um, will get us to the next place, which all I can do is pray about it. You and, and everyone else in the industry, um, I think the average fan sees the WPBA on TV and they think, you know, well, the women's side has really got it together. But, mm -hmm. you know, all of us in the industry are hoping that the WPBA is able to go to that next level and, right. and maybe take the rest of the game with it. Right. And I do think that there are growing pains, and I think we are going to continue to do that. I, again, I, I have a lot of confidence on board, in our board right now. I like this is one of my favorite boards that have been there. And uh, there's going to be a lot of women. I mean, people don't like change, period. It's the unknown. And so there's going to be a lot of people that like things the way they, they, they were, and it's always been much more of a player organization or player membership rather than a professional league. And I think this board is trying to make it more of a professional league where people are going to make real incomes. And I'm for that. I'm for that change. I think that we can still have a, a membership and a player organization, but I do think that we have to put a little faith in, a little, in, in more business people that can uh, make it more profitable. Jeanette, you've had a lot of fun times over the years. I mean, I can remember watching you cling to the back of a camel that you were riding around the <laughs> Oh, my. So, R.J. Reynolds, when all this pool stuff is over and done, mm -hmm. and you look back on your life in pool, what are going to be your fondest memories? What are you going to remember the most? Well, I'm hoping it's uh, being number one again, where I can kind of see where I was number one, got knocked down between... Um, you know, having had nine surgeries, six within my career, and right. um, also just having such a force come in from Europe and Asia and my own um, marketing paths that I've taken, it's, yeah. it's been difficult to be really inspired to put the work in to be number one again. And I've kind of recommitted myself to giving it one last swing at being number one. 
So I'm really hoping that when I do, when this is all over and I look back, I'll know that I did that. Uh, because that does mean something to me. Because when I was number one, uh, I was not the player that our number one player is now. Uh, right. There's just a lot more pressure and a lot, you know, there, there was just so much more to be learned. And I knew that then. Uh, but I like to rise to the challenge. And I like to consider myself not done. I'm still pretty young. And I consider myself to be someone that has a lot of talent and a lot of heart, and I just need to be willing to put the work behind it, uh, which I haven't. And I'm wondering, can I balance motherhood and a full-time job and trying to be a world champion at the same time? And that's kind of, um, I like that challenge. I'd like to see if I can do that. You've had the opportunity more than either of us, certainly, to to see Allison play and Karen play, and then these new players from Asia, Guy Young Kim, shouting Pan. Right. I mean, what is it going to take from you? Is it just going to take dedication to practice, or is there something you need to do mentally? What is it going to take for you to become number one again? Honestly, what I think is good hard work and getting all the weaknesses out of my game. Uh, there. I absolutely respect um, all of our top players. They all have strengths. But I also see tons of weaknesses in their games where I feel like um, if I got rid of mine, I would have I, – I don't think I or anyone is just going to dominate the tour. It's, it's too difficult to do that at this point. But I think I'll certainly win my share. Uh, there are some kinks in my swing in my uh, my style that needs to be refined, um, and that's just going to take a lot of discipline and hard work to get through that. Um, and it's going to be even harder because I know that there's players like Karen who are just playing all the time. And I've got to hope that I have some natural talent that's going to help me speed up the process and, and allow me to catch up and perhaps surpass their game. But it's it's a long shot, but I've I've never been afraid of that. I mean, anytime you set a goal that lofty, there has to be steps along the way and things that you hope to accomplish on the way. Do you have a goal as to what you want to accomplish in 2008? I want to be number one. Absolutely. Uh, in, in two, within 2008, and it's the first time that that's actually been a possibility. Certainly latest by 2009, but I don't see any reason why I can't do it by 2008. I've been practicing more now than I have in years. Um, I have, in my opinion, the best coach that I could possibly have who's the absolutely best suited for me. And we know what we want to do. We know every single little thing that we need to do to work on our game. And what I've got to do is just really control all the other extra stuff that gets in the way of me putting that time in. And uh, it's difficult to do because I'm, I'm always wanting to please and I'm a perfectionist and I want to be a better mother, sister, you know, daughter, wife, everything. And so um, if, if I can balance that, if I can do that, there really is a certain amount of consistency in my swing that I've got to achieve in my um, composure and demeanor at the table that this is all trainable. The things that I have, the talent and the creativity and spaciousness that I have, I don't think can be learned. I think the things that I'm weak in, weak in can be learned, can be trained, and so that's what I'm doing.
And for the first time um, since I've been on this tour, we're wrecking our rankings year to date. And so now that's a possibility, whereas before, for me to try to get back to number one, it, it would take two and a half years. Right. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Now it's all up there for grabs. <laughs> and um, it's not going to be easy. It's absolutely not going to be easy. But is it my goal? Yes, that's what my goal is. Well, I know that you certainly have a legion of fans who are behind you every Thank step you. of the way. Thank you. And And really, you have to have goals. You have to have goals. And you have to be willing to fail in order to succeed. And so I'm aware of the fact that I have some serious, formidable opponents um, ahead of me that I'm going to have to work through. But I, I really believe in myself. I believe in my abilities. I believe in the team of um, people that I have around me. I have a great husband, a great family, a great coach, a great agent with Tom George at Octagon. And um, everyone's doing their part. You know, and, and my husband is super supportive of this effort that I've got with Bob Carmen. So, you know, it's just we've got to put the time in. You mentioned uh, George, your husband, mm -hmm. George Breedlove. I am always amazed. George does not get out and play on a regular basis, uh, at least yeah. not on the tournament scene. And my understanding is to play professional pool at the level that you or that George play at you really have to get out there and compete on a regular basis. But when he does play in an event, he always plays top level. I mean, he beats guys that are playing at every tournament. Is he just practicing eight, ten hours at home, or does he just have the natural ability that he can turn it on after a layoff like he does? He's just so talented, it drives me crazy. <laughs> I mean, it just drives me crazy. It's just not right. But, you know, uh, I think that he's just a businessman, and he has his own business, and he's very realistic about where the men's tour is right now. And the amount of effort, I mean, the talent goes so deep. It's not that George isn't one of the greatest in the world, but there's so many of those guys out there. And for him to really do well, the amount of time he'd put in compared to what he'd get out of it right now, it's, um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Jeanette, we did see you in Derby. I saw you playing in the three-cushion tournament. Um, mm -hmm. You seem to have a real love for that game, more so than some of the other top pros do. Can you tell us about that? You know, I, I think it's a matter of um, them being exposed to it. I, I think that the more pool players that are really exposed to great three-cushion billiards would absolutely fall in love with it. It really gives you a focus on where the cue ball is going, to understand how the balls connect off of each other, and I think in the long run would really improve their um, their game in terms of position play. And for me, it just opened up my eyes to so many newer things, and it's just it's simply fun. It's so much fun. And I was introduced to it by a friend of mine, Ira Lee, and he was a student of Sang Lee, which I ended up um, you know learning under. This is over at Caram Cafe in Flushing, New York. Uh -huh. And they they love three cushion. I mean, you go there and there's people playing on every table and it's just beautiful. And I really do hope to get better. Unfortunately, 
for me, it's it's a bit of a hobby. It's not my profession. And so for me, you know, having a lot of time to do hobbies are just not a luxury I have right now between trying to be a great wife and mother and business person. Um, it's been difficult. Well, I noticed one of the players in the event at Derby City was Sang Lee's daughter. What was that like competing against her after having learned to play under Sang Lee? Actually, I was really quite pleased um, to see how her game had improved. And she's a lovely, I've known her since she was just very, very little. And uh, she's just grown to be such a wonderful, sweet young lady. And she didn't show a lot of interest initially in playing. And she's just showing a lot more interest now. So I'm I'm happy about that, and it was just an enjoyable experience. We both respect each other and get along real well, so it was nice. I mean, the three-cushion world is, is a very loving, uh, family-oriented world that I love. It was definitely interesting watching not only the ladies play three-cushion, but the men were playing, and it was it was a different sort of game as a spectator, mm-hmm. whereas... You come, and to try to explain to the fans briefly, the main Derby City event took place at the Executive West. The three-cushion event took place across the street. It was quite a change to go from the environment of Derby City with the action room and, and the woofing and, and that, the, the chaos. And then you went across the street and people were shooting three-cushion and, and they were, Everyone was playing with the utmost respect for each other and the game mm-hmm. itself. It, w- it was very interesting to watch. There was a really, really great player named Mercedes Gonzalez that competed in the event. And she yeah. was just, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of us. But it was great. Well, I understand for, uh, for pool players who like to play online, there's now a way that they can even go online and, uh, and get their butt kicked by the Black Widow. It's something at... at King.com. Can you tell us about that? Yes. If you go to www.king.com, there are a number of games, and one of them is called Black Widow Billiards, and you can play 8-ball or 9-ball. I've been playing mostly 8-ball, and in fact, every month we have an online tournament where you can compete against me. But when you're not competing against me, there's a number of people that come in in the lobby that you can compete against, and it's an interactive online game where you're playing eight ball against someone. It allows you to um, put English on the ball and change the speed, and it's, it's, it's actually quite addictive and a lot of fun, and it does help you understand um, some strategic play, things like that. So it's, it's something I hope everyone checks out because I'm very proud of it. So we know about your contract with liquidwick.com, mm-hmm. and- and wish you well with that, and we know about you. your game at king.com. What else is 2008 uh, got for Jeanette that's new? Well, I've, it's funny because my agent said I'm the only person that he knows that can pull off being a spokesperson for Bass Pro Shops and for Rokaware at the same time because they're, you know, Rokaware is an urban clothing line uh, owned by Jay-Z, and Bass Pro Shops are obviously a completely different world. And I've signed contracts with both of them. I'm also doing more broadcasting um, with ESPN. So I have a a regular steady contract with them now to do other events outside of billiards. 
Um, just getting out there a lot more. Definitely op- plan to open up some more Black Widow billiards as well as have some fantasy camps. But it just, I really needed the venues to have those kinds of experiences in order for it to make sense. So uh, just stay in touch with my website and you're going to keep seeing what's going on. All right. Hey, Jeanette, we really appreciate your time today. Thank and you so much. George from Cheyenne, the best in the world. <laughs> and we hope to be talking to you again very soon. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Mike. And say hello okay. to everyone at AZ Billiards. Well, Mike, it's, it's always fun touching base with Jeanette Lee. She has, shall we say, an interesting life. That she does. Um, I, I couldn't help but think during that interview that she made the comment that she understood she was not going to make the money that she wanted in life just by being a player. She had to concentrate on the other aspects of her career, but now she's taking that step back and wanting to go back to her game and try to become number one again. Uh, It's going to be an interesting journey for us to follow this year. Yeah, and I was a little bit taken aback by that because, I am surprised that, well, I was surprised to hear that being number one again meant that much to her. Um, Frankly, with her personality and her schedule uh, being as full as it is, I had not seen being number one as something that would be crucial to her. Uh, But I guess that's just a personal goal. Um, You know, if... if, uh, she had been number one back in the 90s at one point, and she wants to repeat that before her playing days are over. And, uh, well, I hope she has the time to practice to get there because it's uh, it's a tougher road being number one these days. There's a lot of heavy-hitting sticks out on that WPBA tour trail now. Well, I know one thing when it comes to the big picture of playing endorsements, uh, corporate appearances, and most recognizable player out there, uh, Jeanette's number one by a mile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no matter where I go in the world, I get asked about two people. Um, how's the, that spider woman doing? <laughs> and uh, uh, did Minnesota Fats win the U.S. Open this year? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... She and, and, and Minnesota Fats at one time were tied for name recognition in pool. I think that I haven't checked it lately, but I'm pretty sure that Jeanette has now well surpassed him. I, I hope so. Well, it was an interesting show, uh, interesting beginning of the year. We will be back next week, and we will have another another fun player guest. I, I still think that we, uh, towards the end of last year, spent a bit more time on the industry than <clears throat> maybe we should have. And, and I'm very pleased that I made it through an entire show without complaining about the billiards industry. And uh, I'm going to yes, try to, exactly. I'm going to try to keep that, that run going uh, along with my undefeated run in the uh, AZ billiards challenge matches. But uh, that's not something we need to go into here again. Well, good luck on that. <laughs> and, um, Yes, indeed, we will be back again next week, and we'll have another interesting guest for you, as well as all the news that uh, is going on in the billiards world. So until then, 
Uh, go check in every day for us at AZ Billiards and check out the new videos at azbtv.com. And Mike Howerton and I will see you next week.